Leadership succession planning can be a challenge for any business entity. It can be even more of a challenge in the law firm context, where leadership and management training are less of a focus, and the path up the leadership and management ranks is less formalized. Market pressures around innovation and the complexities of the generation gap can further complicate the issue. Against that backdrop, first-hand insights on assembling an effective next-generation leadership team are particularly useful. And they are the topic of this episode of Speaking of Law Firm Leadership. I'm Joe Peach, Senior Counsel in the Law Firm Management Services Department at Alas. And with me today is David Fulton. David is a corporate lawyer and also has served since 2008 as Chairman of the Board and Chief Executive Officer of Honigman LLP. Honigman is Michigan's largest law firm, and it also now has more than 300 legal professionals in the Midwest and a growing national client base. Welcome, David. Glad to have you with us today. Delighted to be here. You've been driving change at Honigman for some time now. Today, let's focus on your recent efforts regarding next-generation leadership development and succession planning. To get us started, can you give us some background on the governance structure in place at Honigman, back when you started thinking about taking action on these issues? Sure. About 25 years ago, we made the transition from founder-led to a modern governance structure. Our structure is heavily chair-centric. The chair is also the CEO. Uh, we have a board, but it's a policy-making board, not a governing board in the traditional sense. We also don't have contested elections. Uh, the chair nominates a board slate, and the partners vote that slate up or down, and they do not have secret ballots. We vote in open. Similarly, the chair has a five-year term and nominates his or her own successor, who could be the current chair. While we have this heavily CEO-centric business, we do make it a point of walking around and talking to people before we make decisions. We have a cohort of 20 or so extremely high-performing and high-producing equity partners who range in age from their late 30s to early 50s. They're generally good and, in some cases, outstanding firm citizens. They're collegial and they're collaborative. We've informally consulted with this cohort on all important firm matters for several years. So, given that background, what was it that prompted you to deviate from the status quo? and more actively tackle leadership development and succession. We were seeing things ourselves and then learned a great deal through a strategic planning process that we undertook in which every lawyer in the firm was interviewed by a strategic planning committee. Can you tell us about some of the things that you and, and perhaps the vice chair as well were experiencing? We were frustrated with our inability to implement programs that we thought we needed to modernize our operations and processes to maintain our competitive edge in terms of client service, delivery of value to clients, and financial performance. Also, we were frustrated by our inability to have voices other than ours consistently communicating the firm's messages throughout the firm. For example, explaining the rationale behind strategic initiatives to questioning colleagues, giving candid feedback to firm attorneys in order to create realistic compensation and promotion expectations, and the like. And what about those things you learned via the strategic planning exercise? What are some of those? Well, there were some positives and some concerns. On the positive side, the attorneys in the firm believe that the firm is very well led, 
They're pleased with the firm's performance and with the chair and vice chair's performance, and they're optimistic about the outlook for the firm's future. They also believe that firm leadership is committed to diversity, inclusion, and equity. But there were some concerns that were also identified. There was a concern that we're not developing a bench being trained in the business of law to eventually succeed me. There were concerns about succession in other areas of leadership, as well as client relationship succession. There's a desire for better and more consistent communication from firm leadership and a sense of an in-group and an out-group, with many attorneys uncertain as to where they fit in. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean by in-group and out-group? This one really surprised us because we pride ourselves on communicating uh, clearly and regularly and in advance of taking firm actions. But it turned out that a number of people felt that, that I don't um, consult with them enough on important decisions. Interestingly, some of those, uh, and not, none of this was disclosed to me. This was the identities of the speakers. But the committee told us that some of those who felt they weren't in the in-group are actually quite in the middle of the in-group and are consulted regularly. Interesting. Well, quite a few insights there. Um, I'm interested to hear what you all did in response. Well, we made some structural changes. Um, most importantly, we formed two new committees. We formed an executive committee subset of our board. It has nine members, me, our vice chair, and seven board members who are members of this cohort with our COO as ex officio. We're addressing all important strategic matters formally with this committee. We have regular meetings, regularly scheduled meetings with agendas, with uh, note-taking to come back to on progress. So that, that's one thing we've done. Uh, we also have formed an operating committee. This consists of the department chairs, our vice chair, COO, and me, and they're charged with running the legal operations of the firm really as a traditional corporate business model. We have regular weekly meetings. They are charged with keeping metrics of their success and following through on that. We've also advanced a number of members of the cohort to formal leadership positions, business development partner, partners, chief community officer partner, things like that. And we created an emergency CEO succession plan. Um, and we've made sure that these leadership teams are diverse, diverse in the traditional sense, gender, race, but also in where they come from in the law firm, um, the kinds of personalities, who they would meld with and better than others. And so we really wanted this group to be a diverse group. Now, those are some relatively significant changes. I imagine you spent some time thinking about how to message them to the rest of the firm. Can you tell us a bit about that messaging? The first thing we did is we, sh we told everyone that there's no specific succession timeline for me or for other firm leadership. We felt that we needed a sense of continuity, that we didn't want anybody to think that we were doing all this because I was going somewhere. So we did that. We also made it clear that the executive committee doesn't vote. We consult with them. We may poll them. But the final decisions are really made by our vice chair and me. And I think we also made it clear that the executive committee is a group from which people will come and go. They're, they're not the defined seven to succeed. The group could get bigger. It could get smaller. People could come into it. They could leave. And, you know, maybe even just as important as communicating these changes themselves, how do you go about explaining the underlying purpose of the changes? 
Well, the first thing we did is we told everyone that this executive committee and the executive committee process is not a reality show in which participants are contestants vying for the prize of chair, vice chair, and department chairs. We also wanted this next generation cohort with my help and possibly third-party consultants over time, not just to decide who's the leader or leaders, but also what's the desired governance model. For example, should we have a managing partner with a strong executive committee as opposed to our current CEO-centric model? Um, And then finally, we told the firm that we wanted them to observe how the executive committee and the rest of the leadership cohort perform in a leadership setting in order for them to determine the readiness to serve and whether the firm would be accepting of them as leaders. From your perspective, what types of behaviors would you like to see from the cohort? Can you give us a couple of examples? Yeah, we'd like to see them learn how to openly discuss and disagree on important topics, reach conclusions, and then maybe most importantly, publicly stand behind difficult decisions that they may have not really gone along with. And secondly, will they be perceived as unselfish, self-aware, interested in the success of their colleagues, committed to the future of the firm, strategic, and most importantly, embracing our firm's values. That all makes sense. Now, let's shift a bit and talk about what results you've experienced thus far as the changes have unfolded in practice. First off, how have folks, you know, both those within the cohort and those outside of it, acclimated to the changes? Resilience is an issue, generally among lawyers and with us in particular. Change is threatening, particularly to insecure individuals. We have lawyers who are um, baby boomers who see younger lawyers now coming in in a leadership cohort. Some of them feel passed over. Some of them feel that they didn't get the chance that this next chance, this next group is getting. Uh, It's really difficult to get people out of comfort zones and willing to offer new ideas which run the risk of failing. Um, And effectuating change has really required intense involvement on my part, including several two or three, four one-on-one meetings a week with individual leaders and regular group meetings, and real patience on our end. Any other key areas where you're gaining new insights or verifying existing ones? Communication skills and leadership traits are probably two of the main areas. Yeah, I recall you mentioned that uh, communication was identified both by you and the vice chair and by the strategic planning exercise as an area of opportunity for improvement. What have you all learned so far in that area? It's really difficult to break people off of unproductive communication styles. So we've recently created email and meeting guidelines in an effort to formally address this. Can you talk a bit more about those email and meeting guidelines? Sure. Um, So we have people who interrupt. So our meeting guidelines say you can't interrupt. Um, We have people who use their cell phones while we're in a meeting. We have a rule that you can't use your cell phone in a meeting. If you're expecting an emergency call, you have to tell the chair ahead of time, and I'll announce that you're getting an emergency call. Uh, We don't want anybody to say that's a dumb idea. Lawyers like to say that's a dumb idea. They like to shoot things down. So we prefer that we have a productive conversation where we go back and forth. Um, We also think that uh, conversations need to be candid and open, but yet civil. One way to disagree and another way not to. On the email side, um, we've decided that 
uh, we have to trim down the amount of emails that we send. Sending thank you to 15 people on a chain when you only had to send it to the sender clogs up everybody's email. Uh, we don't believe that you should, and it's in our, in our rules, we don't believe that emails should be very long. Gets to more than one paragraph, it's time to pick up the phone or walk down the hall. We don't believe that uh, difficult communications should be had over email. If you have an issue with a partner or an associate, either pick up the phone and call if you're not in the same office or walk over to the office and, and look them eye to eye. Um, those are a couple examples, but we have many, and we're, we're trying as well as we can to enforce them with a you know, pretty unresilient group. And I know you have a uh, chief attorney development officer as well who attends, uh, in particular, the executive committee meetings as sort of an executive coach or observer. How, how has that worked out? It's been very helpful. It's been difficult for the committee and our operating committee to engage in open dialogue over important issues such as who should be an equity partner or growth strategies. At our first meeting, our chief attorney development officer suggested that everyone was directing their comments towards me. They weren't looking at each other. And then in many cases, I was calling on people who weren't answering. She didn't like that. She didn't think that was a good way to operate. So she, she suggested basically that at future meetings, neither our vice chair nor I fill an empty void that if there's an empty void, we just sit silent in response to silence from the rest of the committee until somebody talks. We're working on that. While things are improving, we still have periods of silence of as long as two or three minutes, and these seem like an eternity. Well, it sounds like you've really grappled with this topic. Any other remaining sticking points? Yeah, it's, it continues to be extremely difficult to get our leaders to communicate candidly with each other and then consistently message to firm attorneys. Um, one thing that we've experienced over the years is that leaders don't seem to take ownership of difficult decisions we've made. For example, telling a confused or unhappy partner that they should call me on an issue they're unhappy with as opposed to sitting down and telling that partner, here's why we did this. We thought about what you thought about and we decided to go in a different direction um, because it's impossible for the vice chair and me to have to answer 120 inquiries. And at the end of it, it looks like we made the decision as opposed to a whole group making decisions. That, and that didn't like that. The second one is, it's very difficult for our leaders to give honest performance feedback, particularly critical feedback, to another attorney uh, who's a director in direct report. Let's shift to the other area you mentioned, leadership traits. What are you seeing there? One is the Peter Principle. Doers are not necessarily leaders. We have several in the cohort who are star performers. They can get things done, but they can't get anybody else to get anything done. Another is that leadership skills just can't be trained to someone who doesn't have an interest in leading. Also, leaders need other traits, self-awareness, vision, resiliency, communication skills, and personality. Some of these can be taught but others can't. With all of that in mind, and as sort of an overall matter, how do you think the cohort has progressed thus far? The cohort is learning, and we're kind of on a trajectory like a hockey stick. It's starting to learn more and more. Some are being convinced that while they would like a meaningful voice, they're not interested in leadership. Others are convincing the rest of the group that they're not suited to lead. 
and some are emerging, growing, and bonding with each other as real future leaders. Well, it certainly seems like your considered approach has you all learning a lot and learning quite quickly. Thank you, David, for the candid and enlightening discussion. I very much appreciate your willingness to share your experiences and insights. Thank you. And until next time, this has been Speaking of Law Firm Leadership. This podcast is provided for educational purposes to assist lawyers in avoiding ethics violations, malpractice suits, other professional liability claims, and management liability claims. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. The recommendations contained in this podcast are not necessarily appropriate for every lawyer or law firm. In determining the best course of action, lawyers should consider the applicable legal authorities and all relevant facts and circumstances. Copyright 2019 by Attorneys Liability Assurance Society. All rights reserved.